Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we will start learning Rashi from Parishat Perut Yud Gimel Pasuk A, which is Shalishi of Lech Lecha. So the story so far is Abraham has been told by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to go to Eretz Israel. When he gets there, there's a famine and he has to go to Egypt and he's come back from Egypt laden with lots of stuff. That was said in Pasuk Bet. And now the focus turns to the relationship between him and Lot. Lot was his brother-in-law stroke nephew because Sarai was Abraham's niece and Lot was Sarai's brother. So he is both nephew and um, uh, brother-in-law to Abraham, and he's the nearest he's got to any children, and that's going to be relevant. So we say in Pasuk Abraham, also to Lot, who went with Abraham, there was flocks, and there was cattle, and there were tents. So just like Abraham had lots of stuff, um, the Mikneh Kessel Bazahab in Pasuk Bet. Um, so Lot had lots of stuff as well. And Rashi says uh, one comment on the words Haholech et Avram, Mi Garam Shahita Lozot, who caused him to have this? Halichato im Avram, is going with Avram. So the only reason that Lot was lucky to have this fortune was because he went with Avram. Now, I think there's two things to say. Number one, this is the beginning of Rashi's character judgments of Lot, and they are pretty negative. And I think the reason they are pretty negative will become clearer in a few pasukim time. <clears throat> but Rashi um, has a view of Lot, which is not very good at all. I, I once uh, gave a share on, on Rashi and Lot and called it a study in mediocrity, that Lot is not evil, but he's not very good. I think that's a fair way of putting it. So Rashi would assume that he does not have enough merit to earn lots of stuff or to be blessed by a Kaddish Baruch Hu with lots of stuff. But I don't think that's what's driving Rashi. I think as usual, it's a more technical point. But what's driving Rashi is the fact that the words Haholech et Avram are superfluous. We know who Lot is. We know that he's been going with Avram. We learned that at the beginning of Perak Yudbet, uh, Pasuk, um, hey, you'd bet hey, that when Abram went to Canaan, he took Lot with him. And we also know that when they came back from Mitzrayim, uh, in Yud Gimel Aleph, Lot was with him. So we know exactly that Lot is Haholech et Abram, who is going with Abram. Therefore, Rashi is bothered by the fact that those words are redundant, and they must be coming to teach us something. And they must be coming to teach us that the reason that Lot has Tzonu Bakava Ohlim, which is the, the main point of the Pasuk, is contained in the words Haholech et Avram, which is the apparently superfluous part of the Pasuk. Okay, then into Pasuk Vav. And the land did not bear them to carry them to dwell together. Ki Rav, Rav, because their property was much, and they were not able to live together. 
And Rashi says, Lo nasa otam, lo haita yocholo lahaspik marea lemiknehem. It was not able to provide pasture to their cattle. Now, Rashi focuses on pasture. He's going to give a grammatical reason, but also what's going to come out in the next Pasuk and the way that Rashi explains the next Pasuk shows that the argument between the shepherds of Lot and the shepherds of Abraham, which is what we're leading up to, was about pasture. Now, Rashi has that in the way he explains Pasuk Zion. It's not explicit there in Pasuk Zion, but it's, it's well implied. So Rashi says the problem here is there was not enough pasture for the two, um, for Abraham and Lot. But that's not actually his main driver here, as he goes on to say. He says, Voloshan Katsarhu. This is an abbreviated expression. So there is a bit missed out. Rashi has used this phrase before, and he's going to use it many times again. If it's obvious, um, who the, usually who the, the subject of a verb is, then the Torah doesn't actually spell it out, but often Rashi will. Um, and here he says, the, it's an abbreviated verse, which is slightly different here, what's abbreviated, because what Rashi's going to say is we've got the subject of lo nasa otam, but we've only got half of the subject. If you read the Pasuk, it says, lo nasa otam ha'aretz, the earth, the land, did not bear them to live together, did not uh, enable them to live together. So Rashi continues to say, after Lashon Katarhu, but Tzarich Lahosif Alav, you need to add to the verse, Velo Nasa Otam Mareh Ha'aretz, the pasture of the land did not bear them. So rather than the land did not bear them, which is what the Pasuk says, it really, you have to understand it as the pasture of the land did not bear them, did not carry them. It's also suggested, by the way, that it, it doesn't make sense to say the land did not carry them, there wasn't, which implies there wasn't enough land for them, because Eretz Israel, it's not the biggest country, but it's got enough room for two people. So it doesn't make sense to say that there wasn't enough land for two people. But maybe it does make sense to say there wasn't enough pasture for two people. But here's the main point. The next words of Rashi, Leficha katav velo nasa veloshon zachar. And that's why the word nasa is in the male gender, because the word mare, pasture, is a masculine word. The word ha'aret, says Rashi, is a feminine word. So if ha'aretz were the subject of nasa, it would be nasa'ah with a hey. And it's not nasa'ah with a hey, it's nasa'ah in the masculine form. So the subject cannot be ha'aretz, it must be something of the land. That's why it's a mikra katsa, that's why there's something missing. So it must be mare ha'aretz, the pasture of the land. So putting it all together, make, it makes sense because you can't say there wasn't enough land for them, but you can say there wasn't enough pasture for them. It also makes sense because we're coming up to the next passage and we're going to explain that the argument is about lack of pasture. And that's why the shepherds get crossed with each other. But the main driver of Rashi, as he himself says, is the grammatical one, the verb must match the subject in gender, and apparently it doesn't if the subject is ha'aretz, therefore the subject must be mare ha'aretz. Now, it's interesting that some of the Mephoshim take Rashi to task on this because they say there are other examples in the Torah where aretz has a masculine form and takes a masculine verb. 
and there are others who defend Rashi and say, no, in each of those cases, there's a special reason why it's not really arect is a masculine word, it really is a feminine word, as Rashi says here. And even though sometimes it looks like it's uh, following a masculine grammar, it's not really. But I don't think we'll go into every one of the cases about which they argue. So now we get on to Pasuk Zion, which says, Vayehi riv ben roe mikne Avram, uven roe mikne lot. Vahakanani vahaprizi az yeshev ba'aretz. There was an argument between the shepherds of the cattle of Abraham and between the shepherds of the cattle of Lot. And then it says, in an apparent non sequitur, the Canaanite and the Prizite were then dwelling in the land. So Rashi is going to give an explanation. By the way, as I usually do, everyone seems to have muted themselves, but you're very, very welcome to unmute yourself and raise a question, make a comment as we go along. In fact, I'd be very happy if you do so, because otherwise it's just me talking and talking and talking. Okay, so what does Rashi say about Vayehi Riv? Lefi shahayu ro'av shalot rashayim. So the shepherds of Lot were wicked people. Now, again, Rashi doesn't paint Lot or his entourage in a good light. Rashi is of the opinion that, Rashi, that Lot's shepherds were bad people. And they let their animals pasture, I think to make it into a verb, in the fields of other people. And the shepherds of Avraham rebuked them, the shepherds of Lot, about stealing. And the shepherds of Lot said, The land has been given to Avraham by Hashem. And he has no heir. Some versions got Ben Achiv, Lot, who is the son of his brother, Yarsho. He will inherit him. And therefore, this is not stealing, because the argument is that the shepherds of Lot are saying is basically the land already belongs to us. So even though he's uh, um, te uh, technically um, feeding in other people's fields, really it's our fields. Then Rashi continues, Omer, and the Pasuk says, the Canaanite and the Prizite were then dwelling in the land. And Avram had not yet acquired it. In other words, the shepherds of Lot were wrong in their presumption. Okay, so why does Rashi go down this road? Um, and I think there's a number of reasons that direct Rashi in this way. First of all, we want to know why was there an argument? I mean, sometimes two people living together they just have an argument, but usually the Torah is going to give us something more, um, more substantive than that. So if it says there was an argument between the shepherds, then we need to know why there was an argument between the shepherds. That's number one. Number two, why does it say ben roe mikne Abraham or ben roe mikne lot? Why does it have to say the shepherds of the cattle of Abraham and the shepherds of the cattle of Lot? It could have just said the shepherds of Abraham. We would have known what that means, the shepherds employed by Abraham and the shepherds of Lot. But it doesn't. It adds twice the word mikne. So implying that there's something cattle related about their argument. Um, next point is there's a 
with Rashi, with Rashi's explanation, there's a flow from Pasuk Vav to Pasuk Zion. Pasuk Zavav says, they had lots of property. Ki rav. There was lots of property, implying that the argument is somehow property related. And it's also the case that in Pasuk Vav, as Rashi explained it, there was a focus on pasture. Rashi went out of his way to say that's the word in the Vop in Pasuk, even though it's not written there, it, it like is written there, it's a Mikra Katsar, it's an abbreviated verse, which then sets the scene for Pasuk Zion also being about pasture. But all those, I think, are good answers, and they're all found in sources. But obviously, the clearer direction that Rashi is following is this last part of the Pasuk. And I actually so. Sorry, sort of a bit of a spoiler. I said it's a non sequitur, and it really, really is a non sequitur. So, up till the last five words, Pasuk Zion says there was an argument between Abraham shepherds and Lot shepherds, and then suddenly it says, The Hakanani Bahaprizi az Yoshefa Aretz. What has that got to do with the previous part of the Pasuk? So, with Rashi's explanation, it works out very nice because that was precisely the problem, and that was precisely the source of the argument. The shepherds of Lot said, it's our land already. And the shepherds of Abraham said, it's not your land already. And you know why? Because, which as Rashi says, means that Abraham has not yet acquired the land which Hashem has promised him. Okay, an interesting point is, and this is brought by the Quran, that how could the shepherds of Lot make this claim? Because the halacha is that even if somebody is going to be an inheritor, that doesn't give them the right to use the stuff now. So they say that, the, the shepherd said that, look, Abraham hasn't got any children, so Lot is going to be his, his heir, which is fair enough. We're not disputing that at this point in Abraham's life. But, but Abraham is still very much alive, so Lot hasn't inherited what Abraham has got. So how can they claim that we're not stealing because this land belongs to Abraham and Lot's going to inherit from Abraham? So the Goarius is something very interesting. Says that the land was not just given to Abraham by Hashem, to Abraham as an individual. But whom was it given to? The Jewish people, the descend Abraham and his descendants. It was not Abraham gets the land, he dies, he passes it to his son, who dies, who passes it to his son. It was the land was given to Abraham and his uh, descendants in one go. That's what it means to say Eretz Israel belongs to the Jewish people. So the shepherds of Lot had an argument to say, look, it's not just given to Abraham, it's given to Abraham and his heirs. And right now, Lot is one of his heirs. And it turns out they were wrong. And by the way, it's interesting, and it just sort of occurs to me that this, this uh, point of Rashi, this Rashi here, um, is an example of a big part of the story of Abraham that he was promised he would get this land, but he never did. And, uh, and, and, and Rashi says much later in the beginning of Shemot that uh, it was a great test for Abraham, that he was promised the whole land. And when he wanted to get just a little bit of it, just a cave, he had to pay 400 shekels for Marat Machpelah. So even the bit that he ended up getting, he had to buy. And the rest of the land he didn't get. It wasn't given to the Jewish people until they came back from Mitzrayim until they entered with Yeshua. So it was a promise about that his descendants will get the land, but it didn't actually apply to Abraham, uh, which was part of the nature of Abraham's relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. And just, it was obviously, just the last line, sorry. and it was obviously what the shepherds of Lot didn't cut, or in their excuse, 
to steal from others, they uh, believed that the promise had already been fulfilled. Yes. So sorry for interrupting you there. Not at all. Um, just regarding the Gur Ariyat's understanding, um, if Israel was promised, if the land was promised to Abraham and Abraham's descendants, I understand making the argument that Lot was one of, was going to be the heir and inherit that. But I mean, in the technical definition of Abraham being promised a child and having direct descendants, Lot doesn't really fall into that category. Um, I hear, they, I, I don't recall that the Maharal addresses that question directly. So I'm going to make up an answer. So you're, you're, if I understood your question, that he was promised a land, but he was also promised children. So how can the shepherds of Lot work on the basis of one of the promises, but ignore the other? Would that be your question? Um, I don't know. And all I can suggest is that they're naughty people and they are um, uh, making excuses or alibis for their own conduct, which one can actually uh, uh, refute, as you just did. Okay. Okay. But, um, I mean, maybe, maybe they thought, I mean, Rashi says here, the uh, low ain Yoresh, he hasn't got a, an inheritor. Um, it could be, uh, I'm sort of ignoring those words, and I'm just wondering, maybe they thought that when Abraham dies, that the, his, his inherited property will go to his son, yes, and also to his nephew, because Lot is very much part of the group. Maybe, maybe. But I hear a question. I think it's a good taina on the shepherds of Lot, but it fits because, as Rashi said at the very beginning, they were Rashaim. So it's not to necessarily to be expected that they're going to give arguments which are 100% watertight, as mm -hmm. we believe. So in Pasuk Chet, um, Abraham says, Vayoma Avram el Lot, al riva don't let there be an argument between me and between you, ubein ra'ai ubein ra'echa, and between my shepherds and between your shepherds, ki anashim achim anachna, because we are brothers. Now, I'm going to do something slightly differently. Before we get to Rashi, what does brothers mean? What does it mean to be a brother? Any ideas? How do we use that phrase in English? How do we use the phrase brother? Like to have fraternity between fraternity. people. Fraternity, okay, so yes, as in liberty, fraternity. Um, what does fraternity mean? Brotherhood, responsibility. Responsibility, okay. Uh, I, I'm sort of moving, you're, 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 oh, I'm, I'm moving you in a direction. Um, so the word brother might be more than just sharing the same parents. In oh, the I'm guessing it can be more than blood relatives. Hadaya saying it can be more than blood relatives? Oh, is that the direction we're going? Well, I'm, yes, basically. Okay, by the way, um, is it accurate to say that Abraham and Lot were brothers? Sarah mm -hmm. shakes her head, Hadaya shakes her head. Why? Because weren't they uncle and nephew? Because they were uncle and nephew, and that's not the same as brother. Or is it? Um, have a look at uh, Perak Kaf, no, not that one, we'll come back to that in a minute. Perak Kaf Tet, Pasuk Yud Bet. Kaf Tet Yud Bet. You go over to find it. So, Avra, uh, sorry, Yam Yaakov arrives in Haran and he meets Rachel. 
And Yaakov says to Rachel, Ve'yaged Yaakov l'Rachel, ki achi aviha hu, that he is the brother of her father. Who was her father? Who was the father of Rachel? Lavan. Lavan. Was Yaakov the brother of Lavan? No. What was he, by the way? The the nephew. Nephew. He was the nephew of Lavan, and yet he calls him Achi Aviha, the brother of her father. Next example. Peric. My translation ah. says relative. It's funny. It ah, okay. Funny. Okay. Very good. Um, next example is Perak Kaf Pasuk Yudbet. So here is Abraham in the land of the Pelishtim. And just like we saw he did in Egypt, he's done the same trick by saying that Sarah, she's now called Sarah, is his sister, not his wife. And the king of the Pelishtim, Abimelech, is very cross at this subterfuge. And Abraham defends himself. First of all, in Pasuk Yudalaf, he says, I had to because Ein Yirat Elohim but in Pasuk Yudbet, he says, V'gam amna achoti bat avihi. But indeed, she is the sister of, she is my sister, the daughter of my father. Now, is she his sister? Is she the daughter of his father? The daughter of his brother? She's the daughter of his brother. So she's the daughter of his grandfather. Okay, let's now see Rashi on our Pasuk, and then we'll go back to those other two. Um, because in both those cases, Rashi refers back to this one. So in Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Chet, Rashi says, Anashim Achim, Korovim, relatives. He says the word Ach can mean word Korov. It can mean relatives. And that explains in the Vayetze example in Pasuk Yudbet, uh, Yaakov says to Rachel that he is the brother of her father. Says Rashi there, ki achi aviha hu, korov la aviha, a relative of her father. Kamo anashim achim anachno, like it says in our Pasuk in Yud Gimel Chet. So the word ach means relative. You might think it means brother, as in the literal brother. But actually, it's a broader meaning than that. It means relative. Now, we also know, if you look at Rashi on Kaf Yud Bet, you see Kaf Yud Bet, Acholti Bat Avi Hui So first it says, Bat Av Muteret Leven Noach, She'en Avi Halagoi, V'Kedai Le'emet Davarav Heshivu Ken. And then he says, for Imtoma, if so Rashi says, if we were to read this and say, how can Abraham say that Sarah is the daughter of his father? Rashi says, Imtoma, she was the daughter of his brother. And then Rashi explains, I'm still in Kafir Bet, grandchildren are like children. And this is a principle that is used in many different places, sometimes even halachic, and certainly agadic, that grandchildren are like children. So, Sarah is the, oh, sorry, Barehi Bito Shalterach. 
since Sarah is in actuality the granddaughter of Terach, she can be called the daughter of Terach because children are like grandchildren. And if she's the daughter of Terach, then she's the sister of um, Abraham. So we see that brotherhood can also be unclehood. If you're so, Lot was the son of the son of Terach, Lot, just like Sarai, obviously, because they were brother and sister. So if Lot is described is the grandfather of Terach, he can also be equivalent to the son of Terach, which makes him Abraham's brother. But what we mean is brother is relative. And Rashi, again, in this passage we're looking at now, Kaf Yudbet, relates back to our passage. He says, Just like he said to Lot, we are brothers. So you can say that brothers means Korovim, and that's what Rashi says here. You could be a bit more precise and use the idea that Rashi brings in Perakav that brother is the same as nephew, because if your nephew is the grandson of your father, which is equivalent to being the son of your father, which makes him your brother. So the problem, obviously, is Abraham says to Lot, we're brothers, and they're not. Ah, but they are, if you understand brothers, as Korovim. However, Rashi brings another explanation. And he says, Umidrash agada domem bekalaster hanim. They were similar in their faces. They look like each other. Now, what else does brotherhood mean? If brotherhood, uh, let's go back to the answers you gave earlier when I asked you, if brotherhood doesn't necessarily mean being children of the same parents. We've expanded it. Rashi's first explanation is to expand it to mean Korovim. However, brotherhood means something else as well. What, what are brothers in arms? What, are, what is fraternity? What links people who are part of the same fraternity? Well, the answer is they have something in common. They have shared aims. They have shared goals. They're, they're, they're struggling for the same cause. That's what makes them brothers. So Rashi says, let's take a second explanation because um, we're still obviously not quite satisfied by the first. I mean, I've, I've just explained nicely that Rashi says Achim means Krovim, but there's still a problem with that because really Achim means Achim, it means brothers. So to say Achim means Krovim is not 100% satisfactory. Then Rashi using a Midrash goes on a completely different tack that to say brotherhood is an expression of some similarity, not necessarily a blood relation. This is not the Pshat. The Pshat is to say it's a blood relation. The Midrash is to say it's something that they have in common. Now, if you say it's something they have in common, so we'd naturally assume that they're struggling for the same cause. Are Abraham and Lot struggling for the same cause? Clearly not. And Rashi from um, Pasuk Hay and clearly in Pasuk Zion is painting, as I said, a very negative picture of um, Lot, he's very different from Abraham. He's not struggling for the same cause. So if Achim means they've got something in common, what are we left with? It can't mean they've got the same characteristics. It can't mean they believe in the same things. What it can mean is they look like each other. They have a similar visage. And one more point. This actually explains nicely, this is one, one way of thinking, what comes next. What's, what's going to happen in Pasuk Tet? We all know what happens next. Abraham says to Lot, it's time to separate. And although Rashi doesn't say this, I'd just like to go a little bit into a, into a drosha mode, that it's interesting. Abraham invites all these people into his tent. 
He invites people, as we know from the, from the three angels, who he thinks worship the dust of their feet. They're such low in their idolatry in his mind. He invites them all into his tent. And he, his tent is open on four sides. But Lot can't stay with him. Lot has to go. Later on, Yishmael has to go. That's a different story. Lot can't stay. So he invites in all the waifs and strafes, the low life, the riffraff, but his own flesh and blood, his own nephew, his own brother-in-law has to go. Now, why should that be? And perhaps the answer is because Abraham does have a mission, and the mission is to preach what we call ethical monotheism, that you follow God and you do the right thing as a consequence. And he cannot have his own relative, his own part of his household, undermining that message. And we see uh, that the way Rashi explains it, and it, well, it's more or less explicit in Pasuk Zion, but certainly Rashi's uh, explanation makes it much worse, that Lot is undermining Abraham's message. Lot is going around stealing from other people. That can't be together with Abraham. He can't carry on the same journey as Abraham. And it's worse because they have the same face. Why is it worse? Because people will think that what Lot is doing, Abraham is doing. Now, Rashi doesn't say this, and it's not the only explanation, but I saw somebody say this. I forget who, I'm sorry, but I saw it today. That precisely because he's got the same face, that makes it more imperative for them to separate. Lest people think that what's being done by Lot is actually being done by Abraham. Okay, so he says in Pasuk Tet, Hello, kal ha'aretz lefanecha. Behold, all the land is before you. Hipareid na me'alai separate now from me or please from me im hasmal ve'emina if to the left i to the right ve'im hayamin and if to the right the asmi'ela and i will go to the left so rashi has something to say about this right left business and the point is it can be understood in two ways Let's glance at the Targum Onkelos, because Targum Onkelos says, um, his translation of Pasuk Tet, Halo kol ara kadamach, it paras kana milavati, hold the whole land is before you, please separate from me. Im at litzfona ana ladroma, if you go to the north, I will go to the south. The im at ladroma ana litzfona, and if you go to the south, I will go to the north. So Onkelos seems to understand that they're standing talking to each other and they're facing east to west. One's facing east, one's facing west. And that's why left and right become north and south. But Rashi, but Onkelos is also saying something else. That the, out of the, the end of this exercise is that they will be physically far apart. You go this way, in which case I go that way and we end up far apart. Rashi is at pains to disabuse us of that possibility. So Rashi says on the words, im hasmal ve'emina, if you go to the left, I will go to the right. Uh, we'll come to the grammar of those words in a moment. Bechol asher teishev, lo itrachek mimacha, wherever you dwell, I will not be far from you. Va'amod lacha l'magen u'la'ozer, and I will stand for you as a shield and as a helper. So Rashi understands this left-right business completely different from Onkelos and other Mephoshim that go in Onkelos's direction. 
that Abraham is not saying, I will be far away from you. On the contrary, left and the right means two sides of the same street. It means I won't be very far from you. I will be parallel to you. I will still be close to you. Now, so that's Rashi's understanding of what Abraham is saying. Why does Rashi say that? So a number of possible answers. So number one, um, if Rashi said we're going far away, so if, if Abraham meant we're going far away, then you don't really need the im hasmol the emina at all. You could have just said, hello, kala aritz lofanecha, hipparade name alai. The emphasis, the focus being on hipparade, separate from me. Separate from me means put a distance between me and you. Separate means we're not going on the same path anymore. So then the Pasuk says, im hasmal emina, etc., sounds like it's qualifying hipparade. The next thing to say is the, the Lashon of Russia, uh, despite saying, uh, and, and with or without the explanation I gave, that Abraham has decided he has to separate from Lot, and Lot has to separate from him, he's not castigating Lot. He doesn't say to Lot, you're a Russia, get out of my sight, which he could have done. He says it's time to separate, which sounds much more gentle. And if he meant you go to the north and I go to the south and we'll have a whole country between us, that's not, uh, uh, doesn't fit into the same tone of Abraham being sort of gentle. But the third point is the one that Rashi comes to, which I haven't read Rashi's words yet. And the next words of Rashi are, the soft of Hutzrach lo. And in the end, he needed him. Lot needed Abraham. Shneemar, as it says in the next chapter, Abraham heard that his brother, i.e. Lot, same use of the word brother, had been captured. So in the war between the four kings and the five kings, which is the subject of the next chapter, Lot is captured and he needs someone to rescue him. And who comes immediately to do that? Abraham. So Abraham clearly is not planning to, to neglect Lot. He wants to keep looking after Lot. And we see that he does serve as his Magin Ozer because he actually does that and he risks his life and his soldiers, whether it's one soldier, 318 soldiers, as we will see, they, they, they undertake this vast effort in order to rescue Lot. So Abraham clearly has in mind that he will still be shielding Lot, as Rashi says. And that doesn't make sense if he's saying to him, you go to the north, I go to the south. But rather, if he's saying, it, that's, it, it, given the whole context, what comes before, and particularly what comes after, it's clear that Abraham is not planning to be far away from Lot, and therefore Rashi explains this right and left in that way. Now we come to a bit of grammar. So Rashi says, Ve'emina means, Ayamin et atzmi. I will make myself on the right. In other words, it's a hifil, where the subject of hifil being causative, I will make somebody do something, but the somebody is myself. I will make myself be on the right. Kamo the asmeila. And similarly, asmeila is asmeil et atzmi. I will make myself on the left. Now, at this point, I have to confess that um, my knowledge of, of, of obscure conjugations of different binyanim is not what it should be. And you'll see what's coming next, um, that the, uh, the construction emina is not the obvious one, but asmi'ila is the obvious one. 
Asmeila is clearly means I will make myself on the left, but a mina, there's a bit of a curiosity about it, as Rashi will say in the next line. So that's why at this point he says, a mina means I will make myself on the right, which you might not have realized. And it's just like asmeila, I will make myself on the left, which does fit the rules of a hifil conjugation. Why? Why is the problem? Why might you not have realized that a mina means I will make myself on the right? Continues Rashi, the imtomar hayat lo linoked the amina. If you say it should have been vocalized amina, why? Why should it have been amina? Because asmila has got a patach under the aleph. So it should have been amina with a patach under the, under the aleph. And notice also the word, the, the construction that he sort of postulated has got a yud after the aleph. Now the actual word, the amina, Sorry, has got a yud after the other. It's got another yud after the mem. That's what I meant. The uh, amina um, has got a yud after the mem, as in yamin. But our word, the actual word, the amina, hasn't got a yud after the mem. That's been sort of swallowed up. Anyway, if you say that amina should be spelt and have nikud, the amina, says Rashi, kach matzina b'mukom acher. We find it like we have it here, in another place, in Shmuel Perik Yudala Pasuk Yotet, with the words, Im ish lehemin, whether we can go to the right. And it's not vowelized there, lahayamin, with a patach, but it's a seire under the hay there. So basically what Rashi is saying, uh, as far as I understand it, is although the word small, when you make it into the hifl sense, I will make myself on the left, that naturally takes an aleph with a patach at the beginning. Yamin, and I think it's because of the yud at the beginning, when that is put into the hifil sense, it doesn't go in the same way as ayamin. And the proof is the pasuk in Shmobet, and rather it goes amin. And that's what happened in the pasuk in Shmobet. The word is lahemin, and that's what happens here. The word is veaminah. So I'm afraid it's one of those grammatical rashis. Um, some people have a policy of missing out grammatical rashis. I say chas for shalom, but they are quite hard to understand, and you really have to know your binyanim pretty well, and your irregular uh, versions of the binyanim. Let's move on to pasuk yud, which says, "Vayisa lot et enav." Lot lifted up his eyes. Vayar et kol hakikar, kol kikar hayade. And he saw all the, now a little bit later, Rashi's going to tell us the word kikar means plain. Um, he doesn't tell us in this Pasuk, he tells us in Pasuk Yud Aleph. And why he waits till the next Pasuk is an interesting question, which we'll get to. But right now, take it from me that in the next Pasuk, he's going to tell us that kikar means plain. So Lot saw all the plain of the Yardin, ki chula mashke, that it was all watered. Before Hashem had destroyed Sodom and Omarah, Kagan Hashem, it was like the garden of Hashem, like the land of Mitzrayim, going to, up to Soar. What does Rashi have to say about this? So first of all, Kikula Mashke. Now, by the way, I want you to remember that Lot sees a place which is fully watered. 
because that's going to be relevant later. Yeah, we will, I think we will get to it today, just. Um, but Rashi says, Eret Nachale Mayim, a land of streams of water. And that's what means Kula Mashka. It was all watered. Now, Rashi could be doing something very simple here. It could be doing something a little bit less simple. And he could be doing something very simple by saying, what does it mean it was watered? I mean, does that mean that some guy comes with a watering can every day? Or does it mean there were streams flowing through it? Rashi's telling you there were streams flowing through it. It's also the case that there's a grammatical issue because mashke can mean watered or it can mean watering. Somebody who waters something else is also performing an act of mashke. So it could be read as the land was watering, i.e. providing water for somewhere else. So Rashi tells you that's not what it means. Eretz Nachalemayim means it had its own water supply. It was watered. The next comment is on the words Lifnei, Shachet, Hashem, Et, Sodom, Ve'et, Amora. Says Rashi, Haya Oto Mishur. Was that plain? What does Rashi mean? What's the problem? The problem is those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words are dangling. It's not clear exactly where they fit in the verse. It could mean that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of the Yardim and it was all watered. When did he lift up his eyes? Before Hashem destroyed Sodom and Amorah. Now you might say that's obvious because he's looking at a plain which is luscious and fertile and after Hashem destroys that area it's going to be anything but fertile. Or you could read it as that Lot saw and lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain and it was all watered. When was it watered? Before Hashem destroyed Sodom and Amorah. And Rashi is telling you that it's the second explanation, not the first. It's Rashi's telling you when, what, what, what is this Livnei Shachet Hashem et Sodom and Amorah referring to? Is it describing when Lot lifts up his eyes or is it describing when it was watered? Answers Rashi, Haya Oto Mishor. That's when this plane was, uh, sorry, I, I've been talking about water, but it's also about the next bit. It's also when the plane was, as Rashi now says, Kagan Hashem. Uh, sorry, it's not, sorry, start again. You can actually say, when Rashi says, Haya Oto Mishor, it was that plane. It could mean that plane was watered, or it could mean going on to the next words of Rashi, which are the next word of the Pasuk, Kagan Hashem Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. But either way, the point is that the refers to the plane rather than refers to when Lot lifted up his eyes. That's why Rashi has to say, Then Rashi has a problem. Why does it say Kagan Hashem and says Ke'eretz Mitzrayim? Kagan Hashem, especially because Gan Hashem is like pretty good. And Eretz Mitzrayim, now Mitzrayim was a nice and fertile place and it was the rule of the world. Um, and presumably it had lots of stuff, but once you've said Kagan Hashem, why do you need to say Ke'eretz Mitzrayim? How can that be even as good as Kagan Hashem? So Rashi says it refers to two different attributes. Kagan Hashem le'ilanot, Ke'eretz Mitzrayim le'zara'im. It was like Gan Hashem as far as trees were concerned, and it was like Eretz Mitzrayim as far as seeds and planting things was concerned. How do we know that Gan Hashem refers to trees? Where else have we heard about a Gan Hashem? Anywhere? Over to you. We heard about a Gan Hashem? Eden. Exactly. 
in Gan Eden, and that was Gan Hashem par excellence. And what we told grew there? Trees, including the Eitzadat and the Eitzachayim. Um, so there was a focus in the Gan Hashem on trees. And Mitzrayim was a place that was good for seeds. As we know from Devorim Yud Aleph Pasuk Yud, where it says, the place that you're going to is Eretz Yisrael, lo Eretz Mitzrayim asher hu misham, asher tizra etzarecha. It's not like the land of Mitzrayim where you plant your seeds. So Mitzrayim is identified as a place for seeds. It's worth pointing out this point, because I brought that passage from Pasha's Akev. The Torah there makes the point about Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim is different from Eretz Yisrael. What is the uh, meteorological feature of Mitzrayim that makes it very different? Where do you get water from in Mitzrayim? The Nile. The Nile, and it comes automatically every year. Whereas in Eretz Israel, what do you have to do to get water? Rely on the rain. Oh. What's that? Rain. Can yeah, rain. And what do you have to do to get rain? Rain. You have to daven. And Eretz Yisrael is the place that you have to be connected to a Kaddish Baruch Hu because you have to daven for rain. And if you don't get rain, then you've got problems. And that's what the second paragraph of the Shema is all about. Whereas in Mitzrayim, where the Pasuk says you water it with your foot, there's different explanations of that. Um, but basically, the Pasuk's telling you that in Mitzrayim, you get water automatically because every year the Nile overflows and it irrigates the fields around it. And therefore, you don't have to daven, you don't have to pray, you can be an Egyptian who has no connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Notice what was the feature of the land which Lot chose for himself. What was it? It was automatically watered. It was Kula Mashke. Remember that Lot chooses a place which is like Ke'eret Mitzrayim in that it's automatically watered, which means you don't have to daven to Hashem. And we'll see in a moment, the people who lived in that land were people who were disconnected from Hashem. Now, uh, a bit more to say. Rashi says uh, on the words, It went all the way to Tsoar. Now, I'm not quite sure where Tsoar is. Uh, it's not the same with Sur, which is Tyre, which is way up in the north in, in, today in Lebanon. So I'm not quite sure where Tsoar is, I'm sorry. But it does tell us that this region that Lot was looking at was a big region. And I, I, I think the idea is it's much more than what later became identified as Sodom and Amara. It stretched further out, all the way up to Tsoa. Now, then Rashi says, Umidrash Agada. There is a Midrash that expounds this verse. It's found in the Gemara and Haraya, Yud Ahmed Bet. Dorsha Leganai. They expounded it in a negative way about Lot. Because the people in Sodom, which is, by the way, sorry, I haven't said explicitly where Lot wants to go. He's talking about Sodom. And Lot, as we know, goes to live in Sodom as a result of this separation. The Midrash says that the people of Sodom were immersed in immorality. And we're talking about sexual immorality. They did other bad things as well. We'll get to a bit later. And that's why Bahar Lo Lot Bishkunatam. That's why Lot chose their region to go and live in. He was attracted by their immorality. Now, there's a few interesting things to say about this. The, the fact that Rashi brings this in such a way that the Midrash actually says 
Amar Rabbi Yochanan, kol ha-pasuk hazeh l'shem avera ne'emar. Rabbi Yochanan says that every detail of the pasuk refers to an avera, a transgression. By Yisa Lot, Lot lifted up his eyes. That's compared to the pasuk, the Tisa Eshet Adonav et Eneha, the wife of Potiphar lifted up her eyes, and she took a fancy to Yosef and planned to have her way with him. Next part of the pasuk, et Enav, his eyes, that alludes to Vayome Shimshon, Ota Kachli Kihi Yashara Be'inai. Shimshon says, I want to marry this woman because she's attractive in my eyes which is also not really the right way to uh, go about finding a shidduch. Vayar, says the Pasuk, he saw, Vayar oto Shechem ben Chamor, that's related to the Pasuk about Shechem, saw Dina, and he wanted to commit immorality with her. Et kol kikar hayaradein, ki ba'ad isha zona ad kikar lechem, Pasuk in Mishle, which the word kikar talks about how certain people view women. Kikula mashke, and that's based on, that relates to a Pasuk from Hosea, that also uses the word mayim um, in a negative way. So what's interesting is that Rashi alludes to this, but he doesn't spell it out. Because Rashi doesn't need to explain how each phrase is alluding to some aspect of immorality. But Rashi does need to explain that in general, Chazal have this idea that this Pasuk is Marames is alluding to the immorality of the people in Sudan. Why does Rashi need to explain that? Well, the simple answer is, and probably the right answer, is this Pasuk is quite verbose. There's a lot of detail in this Pasuk. Why do we need to know that Lot lifted up his eyes, that Lot saw? Why doesn't it just say Lot chose to go there? So there's uh, extraneous material in this Pasuk, and why that is, is answered by Chazal in their analysis of each extra phrase is telling us something else about Lot and his decision to go to Sodom. So Rashi, just by, allude, just by mentioning that Midrash, has explained why there's so many words in the Pasuk, but without going into detail about what each word means, because that's not the Pshat. What I just read from the Gemara is not the Pshat of each word. It's a general comment about the allusions contained within them, but it's certainly not Pshat. But the, the idea of the, the, the Pasuk is, is quite long in order to give us that idea about why, uh, what was Lot's sort of subtext, what was Lot's agenda, that's relevant for us to understand. That's why Rashi mentions that Midrash. Um, and I think, uh, no, the next Pasuk is going to take a long time. So um, let me just see the first word of the next, first Rashi. Okay, we'll read the Pasuk, Yodalaf, and we'll do the first Rashi. And the Pasuk says, Lot chose for himself the whole Kikar Hayardain. And Lot journeyed from the east. There's a long Rashi on that. That's why we're going to leave that till next week. And each person separated from their brother. So there is the separation, and Lot journeys Mikedem. Anyway, Rashi says on the word Kikar, Mishor, it means plain, kertargumo, like the Targum translates it. And if you look in Perik Yudalad Pasuk Vav, not very far away, Perik Yudalad Pasuk Vav, we see that Rashi's got a whole thing to say on um, this idea. On the words El Paran, 
uh, we don't need to know the context, but there's a place called El Paran, Perik Yudala Pasukvav. El Paran, and Rashi says, Ketalagamor Meshar. It means, um, right, the Targum translates it as Meshar, which means plain. And El Paran is translated in the Targum as Mesha Paran, the plague, the plain of Paran. So El is a word that means plain. And then Rashi says, I'm still in Perik Yudala Pasukvav. I don't mean that ale is a translation of the word mishar. But the plain of Paran was called ale. Not that mishar is the translation of ale, but it was a plain and it had a name and the name was ale. And he goes on to say, because there's a place called Elone Mamre. And Elone Mamre means the plains of Mamre. But again, Elone is not the translation of the word plain. It's the name of the plain of Mamre. V'shel Yaradain Kikar Shemo. And the plain of the Yaradain had the name Kikar. It means plain, but not because the word Kikar is the translation of the word plain, but rather because that was the name of the plain of the Yaradain. So that's what Kikar Yaradain means. It means the plain of the Yaradain because Kikar was the name of the plain. So that's what Rashi says here in Perikyot. Back to Perik Yud Gimel Pasuk Yud Aleph, Kikar Mishar Ketargumo. That's why the Targum translates it as Mishar. But if we've seen what Rashi is going to say in the next Perik, we know that that means the word Kikar is the name of the plain of the Yaradain. The question is, why didn't Rashi say that in Pasuk Yud? Bayar et Kol Kikar Hayardain. And we have the phrase Kikar Yardain in Yud, and we have Kikar Yardain in Yud Aleph. And in both cases, the Targum translates it as Meshur Yadana. And only in Yud Aleph does Rashi refer to that Targum to tell us what Kikar means. So the answer might be that the word Kikar in Pasuk Yud has got another purpose there. What's that other purpose? To allude to the immorality of the people of Sodom. As we saw, Rashi didn't spell it out. The Gemara and Horaya did spell it out that the word kikar was one of those things where you compare this word kikar to another word kikar uh, somewhere far away. Um, you compared it to the Pasuk in Mishle, which also used the word kikar. Um, so in Pasuk Yud, the word kikar has got a very specific meaning. It's there, as Rashi says in his second explanation, quoting the Midrash, it's there in order to relate to another Pasuk elsewhere in Tanakh, in order to tell us about um, Lot's motivation. Whereas in Pasig Aleph, it has no other meaning. It's not there for any illusory midrashic meaning. It's there to tell us wh where the place was. It was called Kikah HaYaradain. And so there in Yud Aleph, Rashi needs to explain what that means. Okay, folks, I think we will stop there. Imiyat Hashem will meet again, probably in this virtual fashion.